0: Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Josh Horowitz from Five Minutes of Trouble, Five Minutes of Bonsai, and uh, other places. And my co-host, once again, the inimitable,
1: Brett Stillo. Welcome, Brett. Here we are again. I'm inimitable now. Indeed. I can't even pronounce that word, and you're calling me that. <laughs> yes. So, yes. I, how are you, my friend?
0: I'm doing okay. Stuck here in one of the uh, longest pandemics, probably the only pandemics I've ever experienced here. Where it's been almost a year now. Right. <laughs> this this needs to right. end one day.
1: But but I'm going to remind you, you're stuck. In beautiful Southern California. Yeah. Well, you are stuck They're, in beautiful Northern California. Uh, beautiful, but occasionally chilly Northern California. But but nothing to complain about compared to our fellow podcasters who are in, I don't know, say, Buffalo, New York oh. or St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, Although, sounds... actually, by the time you'll be listening to this, I think it'll be hopefully summer. And hopefully things are just much better yeah. for everybody
0: yeah, you know hopefully Just it'll be a gotta...
1: thing of the past hopefully <laughs> hopefully um but yeah life is a funny thing when i last spoke with you hmm. we were on a train heading for chicago in the year 1959 that's
0: right with vegetables and drinks
1: Vegetables and drinks, and I was uh, a salmon, as I recall, or was it trout? No, it was trout. Oh, well, yes, sorry, trout. trout lovers, it was trout, <laughs> not a salmon. How could I make a mistake like that? The ghost of Cary Grant <laughs> is coming to get me. It was a trout. Uh, but now we find ourselves in a very dark and moody bar yes. in a uh, in an unknown midwestern city in 1946. Yes, Butch's Place which is place I I wonder with our experiments uh, when uh, in exploring the eighth dimension when we were covering five minutes of bonsai is this are we lost in a time flux
0: I don't know but but uh, here we are
1: because no here we are we in <laughs> in the best years of their lives yes or our lives best years what what, what is your history with this movie? Do you have a history with this movie?
0: You know, I had never, I'd never heard of this film or seen it until Jim asked us to be part of this. And I'm very glad that he did. This is quite a film. This is something that I, I'm surprised that I never really encountered because I remember taking a bunch of film courses back when I was in my college days. Uh, it's something that holds up very well today. I mean, this is a movie where with very little changes could come out in 2020 or, or any modern type of thing. I mean, just some of the uh, themes that, that they go over on here of soldiers returning to war or returning from war and, and having to, you know, all, all the difficulties of just coming back into civilian life. I mean, that, that all still holds true today. And, and the performances in this one, just really
1: good stuff. Excellent points, my friend. I, I agree. I, I... I, you know, I will say watching this, you know, this is a movie that's uh, 75 years old. Yeah. Wow. When, uh, By the time this airs, we'll be approaching the 75th anniversary of the release of this movie. So that's three hmm. quarters of a century. So inevitably, there are moments, there are situations which are dated, uh, you know. I found watching it, uh, yeah, there are, there are scenarios, there hmm. are plot points that seem... You know, from another time and another place, but I, yeah, kind of adding to what you're saying. You know, the emotions, yeah, and the where the characters are. It's very sincere, and it crosses timelines, and it becomes very relevant. But yeah, it's interesting that you know, you love movies, I love movies. Uh, this is one that seems to have have faded from uh, modern consciousness. Mm. Uh, I I think I I might have a theory about that myself. Uh, I've, I'm have i a little more familiar with this movie, um, but this is a movie, I think it's, a, it's definitely a time and a place, and that's 1946, yeah. when, um, you know, there's a, a phrase you hear a lot in history books, post-war America,
0: uh-huh.
1: and it's that image of, you know, prosperity after World War II, you know, huge suburban landscapes, new cars, uh, but this is 1946, and that hasn't happened yet, and the people in this movie don't know if that's going to happen yet. So it's it's a time of great uncertainty uh, around the world.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the, the thing that I found interesting about this was just some of the themes of, of post-traumatic stress disorder, stuff that I had always kind of associated with Vietnam vets returning. I, I had never really thought about just how... Really, any war. This is something that can be a thing. I mean, definitely World War Two. I mean, God knows that the people involved in those certainly had their share of horrors that they witnessed. But I, I just never really remember that it, it was that generation that talked about that that much. It, it seemed to have been overshadowed by sort of the the more recent wars and, and the veterans who, who were dealing with it. But they definitely had their share, and I, I'm. It's it's interesting to see it from. The, something that was close to that time, too. I mean, because 19... This was filmed, what, nineteen forty six, nineteen forty seven,
1: 1946, 1947? Right, 45, 46. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it, it tries to alert the public to, hmm. uh, yeah, your son, uh, your husband's going to come home, and he's going to have nightmares. Hmm. You know, by this time, I mean, soldiers were already coming home. You know, there were soldiers that were you know, came back before the war, maybe from wounds or what have you. So it was happening. And, uh, you know, it's a a scene that occurs much earlier, but, yeah, Dana Andrews uh, having a horrible nightmare.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's, you know, I think, you know, I think what this movie, one thing this movie tries to do is uh, just put a face on the troubles that vets were facing when they came home. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you have Harold Russell's character, uh, who's had a horrible wound. You know, he's he's he, on one hand, he's happy to be home, but he's having a hard time adjusting,
0: yeah.
1: And you know, in, in one sense, <laughs> you know, they, they these guys need some time alone, huh. so it's the, there's a the paradox of welcome home, uh, leave me alone, uh, to some degree, but yeah, it's it's. I, again, I think this is a movie of a time and a place. Mm. Uh, I have a real deep, if we say, a, an emotional connection with this movie. But this movie sort of affects me emotionally more than any other movie you and I have talked about. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this is this is this is my grandma parents' movie. This mm. is their generation. They were they were the greatest generation. Yeah. Um, or, uh, and uh, so. You know, I, I, I can tell you that it's interesting. Growing up, uh, you know, the war had been over 20, 30 years, but being around my grandparents and other relatives, uh, aunts and uncles, their friends, it was odd, man. The war all was always coming up, mm-hmm. not just in my, is you know, in, also in movies and television and references. And was, so as I was growing up, you know you you know as you're as you're becoming cognizant of the world you don't understand history sure. so I, th- I think initially I thought World War II, the way people were talking about it and seeing it portrayed uh, you know at some point I think early in my life I said man so this ended what like five years ago ten years ago
0: mm.
1: and so there was a it, you know even decades later it still had a relevance, mm. an urgency that uh, I think now, over, you know, again, three quarters of the century has faded. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, I think that this movie spoke on an immediate level to uh, the plight of many Americans. And then, again, that kind of changed, as we were saying, post-war America. So I'll tell you one thing. Looking at this movie, it sort of reminds me of looking at a photo album. Huh. Of my grandparents and recognizing certain things, but then also sort of scratching my head and what did that, was that, you know, did that happen? Did that work? Things <laughs> like that. So, uh, yeah, it reminds me a lot of my grandparents. They had their own experiences in World War II. Uh, you know, everybody had a story. Sure.
0: Yeah. No. I, and in, in the case of my grandparents, I mean, they were the ones who were able to actually escape from Europe and emigrate to America just in time to avoid many of the purges that were going on at that time. Uh, I, I don't have any, any relatives who served in World War II on my side of the family. It actually turns out that my wife's uh, side of the family is Russian, and there, there were some relatives who actually served in World War II in the Red Army. So wow. uh, there's some interesting stories from,
1: uh, from that side. Yeah, and that's you know, and that's 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 part of this epic, tragic story. Is you know, it it affects us each in different ways. It's it's the ripples of time and events hmm. that on both sides of your family, this war that seems so long ago, uh, you know, had its effect to this day hmm. on yeah. us. So,
0: so it'll be interesting to see uh, you know more things that we'll talk about about sort of the war in general. But uh, let's, let's go ahead and start discussing these minutes. Uh, we are on Minute 131 of this film. Uh, minute 131 starts with Homer and Butch preparing for a two-hand, two-hook piano performance, <laughs> and it ends with Al's review of said performance. And I can tell you, one of the reasons I really like this minute is because it involves the piano. And as you have... Probably heard me uh, say before. I I do play piano, and accordion, and a couple of other interesting instruments. Uh, And and I first started playing when I was five years old. Uh, Wow! But it wasn't chopsticks that was the first piece that I played. A lot of people that it was you know they either played that chopsticks thing or or the thing where they get their knuckles and they go across the black keys and (laughs) and, uh, but but no. uh, As I remember it, I was up at a YMCA family camp. Uh, in Northern California. And there was a piano there. I had never played before, but I saw I saw a woman who was playing it. At the time, Chariots of Fire was big, the Vangelis uh, oh, yeah. song. you know, de- 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 de. And so she was just playing it. And then she got up and she left. And I decided to wander over to the piano and I started playing it. I had never played before. <laughs> I just, I kind of, I guess, figured out at the keys do something and I kind of remember how the melody went and and my parents jaw dropped (laughs) and I I started taking lessons shortly after that
1: now Josh Horowitz that (laughs) sounds as though you may have uh, some on some level what is popularly known try to say that one three times fast listeners at home popularly known as a photographic memory or some variation of that that you at five uh, could watch this woman and probably say, okay, white key, black key, black key, white key. Oh, but there there's three black keys and here there's two black keys. And uh, In this
0: case, I don't, I don't think it was me actually seeing her play necessarily. I think it was more, I knew how it went in my mind and yeah. I kind of figured out that, okay, this note does this, this note does this. I mean, I, I didn't do it with octaves and not in the black keys, but I mean, I yeah. I basically punched out that theme. And years later, I was still able to uh, play stuff by ear. It's one of the things I can still do. I'm much better that way than I am reading sheet music. Oh, uh, but well, that... but yeah, chariots of fire, and and later on, certainly
1: I did play chopsticks. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's ta- let's take a moment to to discuss that uh, that legendary song, Chopsticks, because yes. I I never really thought. About you know that is the first song for so many people and yeah we see an amazing rendition of Chopsticks
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you think about it it's it's a duet yeah you, know, you know on the one hand you have this this remarkable guy Harold Russell who again actually did lose his arms in the war
0: yeah I, I and didn't, you know, uh, I didn't know that when I first started watching the film I'm wondering you know is this an actor who's holding these these hooks and it wasn't until. I did a little research. I'm like, Oh my goodness. This not only is he actually has the hooks, but, but he was not even an actor that, that that's I'm sure other people in the previous episodes have gone over this yeah. it's his own it, performance.
1: It's worth saying again, because it is, uh, uh, again, i mean, you know, I mentioned sincerity, you know, and, and the emotions and you see it in, in Harold Russell's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think he did much after this, but now, I have this theory that everybody, everybody has an Oscar winning performance in them. <laughs> it's just, you know, how, when and where. Uh, have you ever seen a movie where, you know, there's a character who says a, a bus driver
0: mm.
1: and you say, oh, wow, the guy who played the bus driver in that one scene, that was that guy was good. And then you find out, yeah, that's because that really was a bus driver.
0: Uh. Yeah,
1: and a certain bit yeah, of
0: authenticity that you get yeah, from people who are not actors.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, and that's also what a good director does. Hmm. Is, you know, you've done some directing is to get that performance out of that person one way or another. It might just simply be, oh, you're a bus driver, just just be yourself. And I imagine uh that might be what William Wyler did. Hmm. He said, Harold, just be yourself. You're a you know, you're a, you're an engaging guy. Um and, uh, yeah, and then we see and it, it doesn't hurt that he's playing this uh, piece with a, a living legend. Or the uh, living legend. No, ho- poor Hoagie's been dead. Hoagie Carmichael, yes. Ho- Hoagie Carmichael. I guess a living legend, because to me, Hoagie's still alive. I've been a Hoagie Carmichael fan for years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, I can go to my record collection. Hoagie's still with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. But, uh, Yeah. I I would like to think when they shot this scene, how'd you like to have to have had a, a music lesson from Hoagy Carmichael?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's certainly saying something there. Yeah. and Again, I'm sure other other podcasters before us have talked a bit about Hoagy Carmichael, but I, I just think it's interesting that he's done you know some of the big classics. I mean, like Georgia on My Mind, uh, but but most specifically, Heart and Soul. Now that was the piano. Uh, piece that I remember when I was playing as a kid, that that any kid would come up to the piano and say, okay, let's do Heart and Soul. And, you know, somebody would just do the da-da-da-da-da-da on the left and then somebody do it on the right. Uh, you would think that that would be the type of song that would be played here, especially because Hoagie is there on the left hand.
1: Uh, here, Well, here, here's my theory on that, that I, I didn't have time to look it up or research it. But you know, had heart and soul become a piano exercise Hmm. and was Hoagie just sort of, you know, you ruined, that ruined my song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At that time that (laughs) was like
0: a a Top Warner hit or something.
1: Uh, Yeah. Maybe it was just, eh, although I'm trying to remember, you know, it's a, it's funny, uh, you know, the first scene, uh, at Butch's place, Hmm. And Butch is we see Butch at the piano for the first time. You know, it's not Stardust, but uh Homer asked me, Hey, play that one song. And it's you know, he plays a few bars, but you know, that is a Hoagie Carmichael original. Of course.
0: Of course. <laughs> so it's
1: like, yeah, play that song that you wrote because <laughs> you're But yeah, yeah, I I love Hoagie Carmichael. I will mm-hmm. let the world in on a on a dark secret, a little fantasy because uh, you can do something that I've tried to do but uh, you know and that's simply play piano <laughs> and not just any piano be the guy in the bar playing the piano not yeah. just being the guy in the bar pe- playing the piano but the guy with the cigarette dangling from his lower lip playing <laughs> piano with the the somewhat sinister eyes <laughs> that yeah. say uh, you want to drink or, he wanted me to kill you. So, uh, (laughs)
0: no, there were other uh, films at that time that had some really famous, uh, piano players. I'm thinking about Oscar Levant in American in Paris. (laughs) That, that was a little bit later than this one, but, but yeah, I mean, having kind of these authentic piano players taking these roles, uh, I I guess that was really a thing back then.
1: It's, it's, it's funny. And I think it's just an aspect of, of movies back then. They were more of a, direct communication. So yeah, it could be your, your first chance to see
0: hmm.
1: Hoagy Carmichael or Oscar Levant. Mm-hmm. There, there's a whole podcast in itself. Hmm. Uh, or on an, here's another one. Uh, cause I never get tired of watching him play piano, Chico Marx
0: ah.
1: and his whole routine. Ah. And, uh, it also, it also says something about just uh, a, bu- a viewer's ability to, uh, You know, you could show almost anything on a... Well, you couldn't show almost anything on a movie screen. (laughs) People did have taste back then, but uh, just, yeah, being able to watch somebody play piano was Mm -hmm. far more interesting and engaging, Mm -hmm. especially when it's Hoagy Carmichael.
0: Now, now here's an interesting thing. So he starts out this thing by saying, one, two, three. And and it was at that point that I realized, geez, chopsticks is a waltz. never really thought about that, but but it, it definitely is a waltz. And then when I looked into just sort of the origin of chopsticks, uh, it, it had the waltz name in it. It was actually called the Celebrated Chop Waltz. And it was written in 1877 by a British composer, uh, a woman named Euphemia Allen, who ended up using the <laughs> pseudonym Arthur de Lully. I, I guess uh, back then you, you had to have a male name if you wanted to be published or something like that. But uh, but but the actual chopsticks that came to there it, it actually has nothing to do with Asian utensils, so it's it's called the chop waltz because your hands are supposed to be held in this vertical orientation. You hit the keys in a chopping motion. So that that's yes. why yeah chops chopsticks well yeah
1: I mean, when you have yeah, and you when you have your chops musically so it's no, uh, yeah your I, chops I, yes. yeah yeah <laughs> I have your chops so it's yeah I imagined yeah it's it's more of a, like a rhythmic term a chop waltz because mm-hmm. of that um God I almost want to say what ta- what time do you think chopsticks is in because it well, is that that's, very that's, syncopated... Well, that's three
0: it's three four time
1: yeah it's, it's a it three you know, four? it's,
0: it's okay. a waltz yeah one two three one two three sure
1: okay yeah you just said waltz yeah. three four. You see, folks, you learn things on podcasts.
0: (laughs) Well, if you want to actually hear a really good rendition of Chopsticks, just uh, go to YouTube and look up Liberace Chopsticks. I mean, there's some pretty memorable (laughs) things you can see on YouTube these days. I do. Yeah. I mean,
1: another another guy who you would go to the movies uh, to see him play piano. But I do recall. Was this a movie version? Of him playing chopsticks, or, I think it was uh, from his, his TV his show, most likely. Okay, yeah, I because yeah, years and years ago. I mean, there's another topic for an entire episode of a podcast. Liberace, mm. uh, fascinating guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I do recall his chopsticks, which again, as I recall, it's a very acrobatic performance, and there's a, it's almost like watching a magician. He's, <laughs> I recall, he does some sleight of hand. Mm. Because it's it's not just doing a role; it's how you do the role, and
0: uh, yeah, as well, he you was can the tell, ultimate showman that guy Liberace. Yeah, just ultimate his, showman. His outfits, you know, the, the candelabras and everything, the lighting. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And yeah, I'm as if you can't tell, I'm yeah, I'm a frustrated piano player.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you're much but better at guitar like than it. I am. That's for sure.
1: Well, you know, but it's like. Yeah, I, I'm not complaining. I I, <laughs> I can strum a guitar pretty good, mm. but uh, it's 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 the nuance, the mystique of you know the guy in the player piano, Harry Truman, mm. playing piano while Lauren Bacall sits on top of the piano. <laughs> uh, I just I just want to play the piano good enough so Lauren Bacall would appear on the top of it. Is that so much to ask?
0: <laughs> but it's uh, interesting to see Harold Russell actually play this and I, I wonder how long he actually did practice to be able to do it. Uh, but but it's 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 a joy to see it, you know? I mean he even does that whole glissando thing across the keys, uh, the keys and it really looks like he, he's having a good time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know something I love is it it also shows how good Hoagie was because he's just playing straight chopsticks. Hmm. But then they get about oh maybe eight bars into it and it sounds like he's doing a, a little boogie woogie.
0: Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> and there and just like and, and that's, you know, that's something else I love about movies from this period is uh you know, the jive is always nearby. <laughs> and you know, it, it it I you know, there's you at some point you're going to hear that, you know, eight to the bar kind of dumpa You know. <laughs> uh we're an um, I good number of years away from rock and roll, but you know, things are swinging. Oh yeah. And, uh, also just the way Hoagie sort of is like looking at those keys, like, Hey, Hey, this ain't nothing. (laughs) Uh, but you know, I think it's funny. There's, there's the joy of this scene, but that contradicts, you know, the actual drama of the scene. There's some great subtle, tension here Mm. you know you were talking about how this plays very well in in some ways as a modern film and you have just this wonderful subtle suspense of while this joyous event is going on Mm -hmm. really in in this film it's uh it's a triumph for harold russell
0: Mm.
1: in a way homer is the first member of this trio i think who's really come back Mm. You know, he, he seemed to have the most obstacles at first. Yeah. And we saw how Al and Fred were worried about the kid. Um, and now he's he seems to be kind of ahead of the other two guys who are, you know, still battling their demons as we... So, you know, previously we saw, you know, Al and Fred really have a very tense... Uh, would you call that an argument at that table? It was...
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a. Uh, I think tense is a good way to to kind of put it. I mean, you know, they they still share certainly the uh, you know the the sort of bonds of brotherhood from being in the war, but but yeah, I yeah. Mean, he he's he could basically be you know like like his father. I mean, he's probably would you say he's about twenty years older, maybe
1: the uh, sergeant Al than Captain. Oh, Pat. that's it. That's a good question. What's the age differences? You know, it, it's it's funny because. Um, you know Dana Andrews I can't recall how old he actually was you figure Fred though as a character is supposed to be like maybe 22 23 24. Mm-hmm. so many of those Air Force guys were just kids
0: yeah you know teenagers some like of them. Yeah. yeah
1: teenagers in some cases so yeah and I mean it's it's a funny thing like it's 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 also how people looked back then. Mm-hmm. You know, Al, to me, looks like 60. (laughs) (laughs) He looks older, you know. Uh, You you may notice, folks, in this movie, uh, when characters aren't drinking, they're smoking. And when they're not smoking, they're drinking. Mm -hmm. And then in between, they're drinking a lot of coffee and eating a lot of steaks. (laughs) uh, But yeah, I mean, in in reality, uh, and and I'm blanking on how old Frederick March was, but I mean,
0: perhaps yeah, mid it, late forties,
1: maybe something, or maybe even the a little actor younger. Seems he just
0: like he might be a little older than that. But.
1: Yeah, yeah, heart, yeah, but hmm. uh, but yeah. Anyway, there's this age difference, yeah. and you're right. It's it's almost like a father's son, uh, or it's I mean, in a way, it's just the uh, you know, it's uh, Al could be on his porch with a shotgun. <laughs>
0: Right. Uh, yeah. Anytime you involve the daughters, um, you know that's that's always going to be an issue. Yeah. And, Which again and, is
1: a oh go ahead.
0: Well, I I think it's interesting that the name of the daughter too. You know, I mean he's he's talking to uh, the daughter Peggy, and that's not Penny. That's Peggy. <laughs> Little bonsai,
1: there. It's a total bonsai thing. Shoot. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I'm I'm so embarrassed. I <laughs> forgot what city I Penny Pretty is from, there's the, oh, you know,
0: oh. uh, It was Wyoming, wasn't it?
1: It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, Laramie. Laramie. <laughs> ah, I had, man, I just lost a bunch of bonsai friends. Uh, <laughs> but there is, it's the Penny Paradox. It's the Eighth Dimension. It was, the last time I was talking to you, we were definitely on a train mm-hmm. heading to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And then the <laughs> next thing I knew, we are in this, And and everything on the train was, brilliant technicolor. Mm, yeah, we're, there. we've lost color yeah. here. The, but we've lost color magnificently. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I say to uh, our, our peers, those who have come before this, I, I hope you've been talking a lot about Greg Toland. <laughs> who is, I who is you, Greg Toland? I who is him. Greg Toland? Well, if you haven't heard of Greg Toland, uh, uh, is he the greatest... Hollywood cinematographer of all time. He's mm. certainly up there mm. along with his, uh, he's a bookend with the great James Wong. Howe. those were the maybe arguably two of the most influential mm. cinematographers, definitely of the classic Hollywood era. They both were uh, guys who specialized in black and white. They they had, they also did their color, their technicolor stuff, but mm. uh, this scene, uh, is a perfect example of the style of Greg Toland. Greg Toland was a master of the deep focus. Ah. And uh, we, we see it here that this this little tavern, this bar, uh, looks like a warehouse. <laughs> you
0: know,
1: we have it set up so uh, you know everything's layered. We have Homer and Butch. <laughs> butch yes. boy uh, brain shut down there what, what happened to our internet connection Josh? <laughs> there was a pause for some reason yeah we have Homer and butch in the foreground al is slightly in the background and then way in the back mm-hmm. we can see Fred making that phone call
0: yeah
1: and uh, you know when there the shadows are amazing mm-hmm. uh, this is this is some great cinematography here and it really just again it sets up this while there's this joyous moment, it's uh, again I think we can say that this is Homer taking another step home. He's a little closer to being home and and mm. you know getting his life together or adjusting to his new life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a big moment for for Homer, but it's secretly tainted by the fact that uh, Al is uh, keeping his eye on Fred. Mm-hmm. And making sure he keeps his promise yeah. of calling, and we don't know. There's this suspense, and you know, uh, if if Fred doesn't make the call, is is Al gonna punch him in the stomach? I don't know, but as <laughs> he keeps looking over, we know we this this minute. There's it's two shots. It's yeah. it's a wide shot of the bar, and then this medium shot of uh, Al staring at Fred. And again, Fred seems like he's a hundred yards away. Yeah. It's amazing the depth of field in the shot. And that's a like all again, let's say it Greg Toland. Greg, Greg with Toland. two G's. Mm. Greg with two G's. Greg mm. Toland. All right. Well, we'll and we definitely
0: have to look at other scenes and make sure to comment about the work of Greg Toland.
1: Oh if you haven't heard the name before, mm. you're going to hear it now. I'm going to every episode I'm going to say Greg <laughs> Toll, and no offense to William Wyler, I'll I'll bring him up too. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I find is the fascinating dynamic, and it's it's the subtlety. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of other movies would do something obvious. They would cut to Dana Andrews on the phone,
0: hmm.
1: and in this, you're you know you're left to wonder. Yeah, uh, although it. You know, without any dialogue, you see him. Or am I? If am I jumping ahead?
0: Yeah. No, no, that's
1: that's tomorrow's episode. Sorry. Yeah. I got excited, but yeah, but yeah. <laughs> so we're left with suspense. 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 Yes.
0: Suspense. Yeah. Well, before we get into the suspense, I just wanted to give one last bit about uh, just the fact that we're seeing uh, you know Butch playing this piece without hands. Uh, it made me look and see if there were other interesting videos of people who were able to do that. And so I went YouTube trolling and found uh, some interesting ones. Uh, There's one video you can see where there's a talented young man. He only has a few fingers on his hands and he's able to, to play pretty well. Uh, There was one where somebody who didn't have fingers at all. It was just stumps. And he was able to play this song called river flows in you. Um, And then there was this one where there was a man on China's got talent who he had no arms and he played with his feet Very impressive there. However, I will point out the most profound one of all. And uh, this is one from a show called Grease's Got Talent. And this involves two men who are able to play piano after pulling their pants down. And I'll leave it at that. Hmm. Yeah.
1: No, maybe we do have to (laughs) speculate.
0: You'll have to YouTube that one and see it for yourself.
1: Grease has talent. Greece has
0: got talent.
1: <laughs> Man, we're here in the states we're missing all the good talent shows.
0: <laughs> anyway, on that note, uh, you can find the Best Minute Podcast on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Spotify, and Google Play or at the main yeah. site thebestminutes.com. And social media is available at Butch's Place, the best year of our the best years of our lives listeners cafe. On Facebook and on Twitter at the best minutes.
1: So, uh, yeah. I guess we're going to have to
0: continue this conversation tomorrow, Brett.
1: Yeah, because where the heck are we going to go after uh, Grease has got talent? <laughs> that's right. We may just end the entire podcast series here. <laughs> Sorry, anybody who's coming after us, but I mean, do you see a reason to continue? <laughs> uh, well, it's a. You know, we've still got some things to resolve, so we'll soldier on from there. But, yeah, we're, we're done for today. <laughs> All right. Sounds I'm, good. I'm, yeah, I think I'm going to go to Butch's and, and maybe have a drink, and then I'll, 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 I'll see you tomorrow. Excellent.
0: Well, <laughs> right. uh, for, for both of us, please join us here next time on The Best Minute. Hurry up out
1: there, because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.